you have a Bible, either that you brought or is in the seat, underneath the seat in front of you, or on maybe a phone or a tablet, uh, would you please open up to John's Gospel? Be looking at John chapter 1. Again, that's John chapter 1. The Bible's in front of you in the seats. It's, I believe it's page 886. Let me read this. This is starting in verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him at that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Fathers, we gather around your word this morning. We pray that you would please come by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would teach us, Lord, that we would have a greater sense of who you are and your goodness and your holiness and the ways that you've called us to enjoy more of you and to live in obedience to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some of you know that I used to live in England. It was one of the most exciting times of my life. I lived for two years in Oxford. Um, if you were at my installation uh, two Saturdays ago, there was a brief message along with from some other people from the senior pastor at that church, St. Eb's Church. There was a lot of excitement while I was there and, and, and working with college students on behalf of that church because we were seeing a lot of the, the Christian, or the, I should say the Christian students and pastors in Oxford were partnering together, trying to engage people that simply weren't Christian. And we were seeing more people than had been apparently uh, in decades coming to become Christians. And you know, you know, a lot of people were trying to speculate exactly why this was. And then finally, people started to recognize, you know what, we believe it's because we've had this initiative between the churches in Oxford and between um, the main campus ministry, we might say, what was called the Christian Union, and partnering together and trying to encourage students to read the Bible with their friends. And as they did, things started happening. Interesting things. Okay, so on one hand, there were atheists that started becoming Christians. But we didn't just see that. We saw a lot of people started to grow in their faith. We, we, we saw a lot of people that probably would have called themselves a Christian or self-identify as a Christian describe experiencing um, what might be called maybe a, a new awakening in their faith. They, they were growing in a new way for the first time. And as we did this, you know, we were reminded as a, a team, both the students and the pastors, of uh, a very uh, clear reality the more and more you're engaged with trying to engage people about Jesus, and that is this. Most people believe that they have at least some basic understanding of what Christianity is all about. And it is possible to believe that you have that understanding and to actually know very little 
about the person of Jesus himself. You, you may be someone we found, especially with our students, that had been raised in a church, that had been baptized when they were a kid, uh, that went on Christmas and Easter, or maybe they had friends that went to church, or maybe their uh, experience with Christians was going on social media or online and hearing Christians comment about hot-button social issues. We found almost everyone had impressions of what Christianity is really about. But we found very little people had direct exposure to Jesus himself. Now, what we found was that as we encouraged students to read the Bible, one of two things happened. One, if they weren't a Christian, sometimes they realized that the assumptions that they had about Jesus actually turned out to be wrong. They, they weren't exactly correct. And the, the Jesus that they read about in the Gospels was very different than the Jesus that they just assumed him to be based on their experience with churches or with Christians. Or if the person reading it was a Christian, they, they realized possibly that they had lost sight of the person that Jesus actually claimed to be and the kind of life that he was calling people to. Now, why do I mention this? Where is this going? Here's what we're going to do for the next several weeks here at St. Peter's in our sermon. Starting today and going through the beginning of the March, we're going to be in a series called Questions of Jesus, a study in John. And what we're going to be doing is opening up John, and we're going to be taking a closer look at Jesus. Now, it'd be very natural for you to be going, okay, Brian, um, that's very nice about your experience in England. Uh, we're not in England. We live in Birmingham. Okay, uh, not exactly the same place in the Bible Belt, different context, and, and most people, or if not a lot of people here, might be Christians. Here's why we're going to do it anyway. Every church, including ours, but every church in our community and, and everywhere else, needs to be a place that is a safe place for people to come and not only hear about Jesus, but to ask questions about him. And, and my hope is that if, if that's you this morning, that you're going to have the opportunity as we get into the series to learn about Jesus in John's gospel. That's one of the best ways to do it. Not just to, to look it up on Wikipedia, but to actually sit in the Bible and read some of the accounts of his life. But two, uh, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, I think what you're going to find is that as we get into Jesus's life and as we sit with him, as we watch him, as we listen to the things that he says, we find that there is so much that we tend to neglect or forget about his life as we seek to follow him in here and now. And it's going to be great for us to get into that and to look and see what he wants to remind us. Now, obviously, we're not covering all of John through the, through the beginning of March. Okay, I'm realistic about that. But what we are going to do is we're going to look at a series of interactions that Jesus had with people, and we're going to take up one question from each of those passages. So today, for example, we're going to look at the interaction that Jesus had with some of the disciples in John 1, and we're going to look at this question that he asked him, or I should say them, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Okay, these are the first four recorded words of Jesus in John's gospel in his public ministry. And what we're ultimately going to see from his interaction is we're going to get a window into three key aspects of Jesus's identity. Okay, so one, that he is personable, two, that he is invitational, and three, that he's transformational. I know that's a mouthful, but bear with me because I think it's going to give us some clarity. So first, 
Um, real quick, remember where we are, where we are in John. Okay, we, if you were here with us for Christmas, we were remembering his birth. We were in John 1, and we, got a, we kind of got this 30,000-foot view of Jesus coming into the world. And then John is kind of different than some of the other Gospels. It just drives straight into Jesus' life. It, it, it takes us first to John the Baptist, and, and um, John's teaching about this figure that's going to come in the person of Jesus. And then, as we get to chapter 1 and, and around verse 35, we, we start to see Jesus come on the scene. So let's, let's look at that together. We read about this interaction between uh, John the Baptist and his followers, and then Jesus. It says, verse 35, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. So, pardon me, if, if you're one of John the Baptist's followers on this occasion, if you're one of his disciples, which well, we believe was Andrew and most likely John, who's also known as the beloved disciple, this is a big deal. Because in this moment, John the Baptist has been teaching them that, again, someone's going to come who's sandals John is worthy to untie, unworthy to untie, I should say. And, and now as Jesus walks past, John blurts out, behold the Lamb of God. Hey, pay attention. This is a big deal. And they notice him and they start following him. And then look at what happens in 38, if you have it in front of you. Jesus turns and he sees them following him and he says to them, which our first question today, which is the question we're taking up, what are you seeking? What is it that you want? Remember, if you're, if you're looking at uh, John's gospel as a story, if you're looking at this historical account more from a narrative perspective, or if we could even imagine it as a movie, you know that the first scene in a movie basically sets the tone for the things that you know that you're going to be experienced. Or the, it raises questions of what you might be learning. And that's exactly what goes on in this scene as it's teasing out things that we're going to come to know about this person that is Jesus. First thing that we're going to see is that he is personable. Jesus is personable. If you take time and you sit and you read through John's gospel, one of the things that you start to see is that on one hand, Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. And at the same time, even though he has every right to keep people at a distance and to just kind of spit out commands and to treat people like a drill sergeant, uh, he is incredibly thoughtful, gracious, personable with every single person that he encounters. He's always talking with people. He's interacting with them. He asks them questions. And he does this with a wide breadth of people. He does it with rich people, with poor people, people that were well-educated, people that had no education, really religious people on one hand, some of us know, and then people that the religious people had nothing, wanted nothing to do with. Jesus is engaging with all kinds of different people. And Jesus isn't just shooting the breeze when he talks to people. Jesus isn't just talking shop. But he, he gets right to the heart of things in the conversation. So, for example, look in 38. Jesus turns around and he sees the disciples and he asks them again, what are you seeking? What is it that you want? You know, most of us have people in our lives or in our families that are really good at asking questions. And Jesus, again, is just like that. He asks questions that get right to the heart of people and, and really our souls. So later on, for example, you know, if you've read John's gospel before, what the, 
the woman at the well. He basically comes to her and says, look, I know that you need physical water. And I know that you are looking for something that's going to quench your physical thirst. I've got something that's actually going to quench the thirst of your soul. Do you want it? I've got living water. How about that? Would you like it? Or then in Matthew's gospel, some of you know the story of the rich young ruler. This guy comes to Jesus. He's got a lot of money. He says, Jesus, I want to live forever. What's it going to take? And what does Jesus say to him? In essence, he asks the question, look, are you willing to give up everything that you have? Are you willing to walk away from all of your money and your material possessions? Now, why does Jesus ask him that? Is that because money is evil? No. But Jesus knew if this guy wanted to live with God forever, he knew the main obstacle in this particular man's life, the thing that kept him from loving God above all things, was that he, it seems, was enslaved to his material possessions and his money. And Jesus asked him a question, will you walk away? If you read the Gospels, John's Gospels, the other Gospels, you have to come to the conclusion that Jesus is genuinely interested in the everyday lives of people. And he is always one or two questions away from conversations about the deepest longings of their heart. That's how Jesus was. He's just that kind of guy. So why does this matter? This matters because there are, we experienced this when I was living in England. There are a lot of people out there who assume that the God of the Bible is like Santa Claus. And that the main thing that he is interested in is this being aware of whether or not we've been good or bad or naughty or nice. He is chiefly concerned about our performance, some people think. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus, as God with flesh on, he sits with people, he talks to people. He hangs out again with all kinds of people, and he's curious about what makes them tick. Jesus wants to know what's going on deep down, and he does this all out of love. That, that's a really important thing to remember from this passage this morning. When God came again and put on flesh, what did he show to be interested in? He showed to be interested in you, in me, and understanding how we're wired, what motivates us and that's the same question that he's asking the disciple what is it that you want what are you seeking he's a personable god but secondly he's invitational so when jesus meets people jesus is inviting them in a relationship jesus doesn't just meet every person and give them kind of an elevator pitch about the kingdom and his life and then say hey you in are you out you got to make a decision right now. I mean, he, he can be abrupt and he can be direct, but that's not his MO throughout the whole Gospels. He's relational. Again, look back at John 1. Look at verse 38. So the, he asked the disciples this question. The disciples answer his question by saying this. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So it's funny. Again, the disciples don't answer Jesus' question about what they're seeking. They just say, hey, Jesus, where are you staying? That's their way of answering it. We want to hang out with you. And what does he say in verse 39? Come and see. Come and you'll see. And then it goes on. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, I grew up in a church, uh, going to church every week with my family, and I, I can still remember the time 
when on another occasion that was not involved with my church, someone, thought, someone talked about have a, having a relationship with God, a personal relationship. And to be honest, I thought that was kind of weird. Okay, that struck me as strange, and I wondered if this person was one of those bizarre Jesus freaks. No one had ever talked to me about Christianity in that way. And, and I just thought that the thing that made a Christian different from any other person of any other religion was that we had a set of beliefs or propositions that we subscribe to, and this is what it meant to be a Christian. And so because I agreed with those things, I was a Christian. But then one summer I went to a camp. I did not know it was a Christian camp. That's what Christians do. We, we get people to come to things, and then sometimes they find out there might have been a little bait and switch. We might need to repent a little bit of that, but maybe not all of it. And there was a speaker at this camp, very sneaky, and he talked about Jesus for a week. It was weird because this guy was well-spoken and funny. I hadn't encountered many Christians like that in my life. He was engaging, and then he had us looking at the Bible and stories about Jesus and it became obvious when you looked at Jesus' life, he was inviting people into a relationship with God. And this was, again, entirely different than everything I'd come to know about Christianity. Okay, at that point in my life, my understanding, again, of Christianity was not only believing certain things, but it was ultimately about being a good person. That's how I was raised. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. My, I mean, my parents took us to church, but I just assumed... God loves me and he's got me. I've got him in my back pocket because I've got straight A's and I hold the door for people. That's what I thought being a Christian was. I'm not kidding. But he's talking, he was speaking of something very different as he talked. And he talked again about this idea of, have, of having a relationship with God. And I, I was his eighth grader kind of going, huh, a relationship with God. Okay. And I knew at that time, um, I, I knew that I did believe in God. I knew that God was a lot smarter than I was. Um, I, was I, I knew I was a dumb uh, myself, uh, just naive eighth grader. I had hair down on my shoulders, if you can imagine that. I mean, I knew I was clueless. And I, uh, and I said uh, just about what I want to do with my life. And I said, you know what, God? If you're real, I need you, if, if this uh, relationship with you is what life is about. I want that. I want that. And he did. Came into my life. My life wasn't the same. Jesus asked people to come and to learn and to investigate. And that raises a really, really important thing about Christianity that we, we need to remember. Christianity is not a faith, sorry, a, a tradition, I should say, or a religion or worldview of blind faith. That is not what it is. Christianity welcomes investigation and questions. In other words, we as Christians don't believe what we believe simply because we want it to be true. We believe, and we don't believe in the absence of evidence or against the evidence. We believe because of the evidence. So, so when people say, like when I was in England, some very smart people said it makes no more sense to believe in Jesus than the tooth fairy. That is, that is an absurd statement. Because of all of this historical evidence, the beginning of Luke's gospel, some of you remember, what does he say? Luke says, I want you to know I've gone about and I've researched these things to make an orderly account. I've talked to eyewitnesses so that you can know why we believe what we believe. Now, one of the reasons this is so important for us this morning is that if, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, 
this should talk about the way that this should affect the way I should say that we talk about our faith with other people. One of the things that we have to remember is that Jesus' way of relating, yes, at times could be very direct and brief, but it was also very invitational. And again, this doesn't mean that there's not times in which it's entirely appropriate to have maybe a short gospel kind of presentation or evangelistic discussion. But at the same time, we have to remember that a lot of the time Jesus invited people into using a form of evangelism that was process-oriented, that was uh, conversational. It took place in the context of relationship. He listened to their questions and he expressed a sincere interest in who they were and the things that they were asking. Now, <laughs> this isn't necessarily some of the way that some of us have been taught to talk about our faith. And I can start with myself on this. I know there are some of us who have been in situations where we were trained in evangelism and we were taught our pitch, and we gave it a go, and we knocked on the doors, okay? or, or we had the conversation with the person in the seat next to us on the plane after we mustered up the courage. And, and again, those can be the appropriate thing. That's up to the leading of the Holy Spirit if he leads you to do that. But there are times when some of us did that, and everything fell on its face, and it was painful. It was painful for you, and it was painful for the other person. And not the kind of godly painful that we read about when Jesus says people are going to reject you because of me. It was painfully awkward because we did such a miserable job and we were so uncomfortable. It was like watching a bad date. It was just weird. Some of us have experienced that. Some of us have been in the awkward situation where we're sitting next to a person and they think that we're not a Christian and we can tell they're mustering up the courage to try to talk to us about Jesus. And that's really awkward. And at some point we just want to go, look, brother, you can just quit while you're ahead. I believe, okay? Let's just save us some time. I believe. Again, there, there are times where it's appropriate for us to share our faith briefly and directly, and, and we need to do that when God's telling us to do that. But we also need to remember that there's not only one way to engage people, that Jesus opened up his life and his time. He, he spent time with people. And my suspicion is that there are people that are alongside those of us here who who are Christians, there are people around us in our lives to whom Jesus wants to be extending that invitation. Okay, but we are going to be the means that he does it. They're not going to wake up and open the shower and the mirror says, follow Jesus in the fog. Okay? He's wanting us to talk to him about that and, and to build relationships. And again, this takes time and intentionality. When you look at the way that when we think about some of the ways that we've talked to people about Jesus, it's very, it's very understandable that some people would think, you know, these, these people that are talking to me, they're not interested in who I am. They're not interested in my questions. They're not interested in my story. They're just wanting to say their piece and go and, and check a box or hold up a trophy for what they did for God. But Jesus is very different. He, he wants to know people's motivations. He wants to know... Uh, the deepest longings of their heart, and he looks at them and he says, come and see. It is an invitation to relationship. And finally, he's, he's not just personable and he's not just invitational, but also transformational. So people that encounter Jesus never seem to leave as the same person. 
do they? But they're changed. And this happens in our passage too. So you notice what happens in 40 in John 1, if you've got the Bible in front of you. Andrew grows and he grabs his brother. Okay, he grabs Simon Peter. And he tells them that he's found the Messiah. And he brings them back to Jesus. And then look at 42. It says, Jesus looked at him, at Simon Peter, and said, You're Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Okay, that's, that's kind of direct, isn't it? That's kind of a weird interaction. Here's Simon Peter. He's never met Jesus. His brother brings him to him. And he says, so you're Simon, huh? Okay, you got a new name. I'm calling you Cephas. That's what you're going to be named. Why does he do that? The answer is going to become really obvious in John is because when people encounter Jesus up close, what we see is they, they end up becoming entirely different people. And if you've read the Gospels before, you know that this is what happens with Peter. Peter is the classic bull in a china shop, uh, outspoken, foot in his mouth uh, uh, disciple. He's hilarious. But how does it finish in the New Testament? Ultimately, he is this bold apostle. And we, as tradition has it, we believe that he was ultimately martyred for his faith. Okay? He is a changed man, and he's changed because of the experience that he has with Jesus. Now, there are those of you that are here this morning that you, you have a story that may be some variation of mine, and you also know what this is like in that there was a time in your life in which you know you, you began to try to do this thing that is a Christian life, to follow Jesus, and he changed you. And you know that you also aren't the same person now. Okay? There, there, there are some of, us, some of us for whom our life changed in such a way that we are actually a drastically different person. The people around us like nudge us and they're like, what's wrong with you? What changed about you? There's something different and I want to know what it is. For some of us, it's not um, this huge external change, but it's an internal change. And, and other people might not be able to see the difference in us. In fact, maybe we were really quote-unquote good people and um, we were regarded as respectable members of our community or our neighborhood and other people would have even described us as a good Christian. But we were doing it for the wrong reasons. And we were doing it not out of love for God, but we were doing it to seek God's approval and to feel like we could earn his love. And now we've been freed from that and we live these ways out of obedience and out of joy. When we come to know Jesus, none of us walks away the same person. And so, as we've seen today, when, 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 you, when you step into John, and as we go on this journey together, we, we, we see, one, he, he has a genuine, sorry, Jesus, has a genuine curiosity about people. Okay, He, he, he wants to know them, He's inviting them to follow him, to learn about him. And then ultimately, what do we find he does? He changes them. He, he changes us. None of us gets to know him and remains the same person. And so as we press into this series for the next number of weeks, what do you be thinking about? If, if, again, if, if you've, you might not have ever read John's Gospel before. If that's you, I want to raise the question, how does this person that we read about in John, this, this Jesus, how does he confirm or challenge some of the assumptions that we've had about what Christianity is really about? For others of us, we might look at it and think, and, and so one, simply be reminded of, of who Jesus is for us. But we are also going to be reminded of the ways that Jesus is calling us 
to interact with the people that he's put in our spheres of influence. And, and my prayer is that we'll come to the end of the series and we will be able to look back and we will marvel and we will say, wow, this, this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, surely was amazing. Let's pray. God, thank you that you show a genuine, you show more interest in us than any nice extroverted person we've ever met. You love us. You are seeking to woo us to yourself. And in Jesus, we see this love. We pray in this series that you would show us what, what, who, who is this person, Jesus? Uh, what are the questions that he wants to speak into for us? How, how is Jesus meeting our deepest longing and, and desires, Father? And, and may we as a church family and, any, and anyone visiting be able to come to the end and say, God, you are glorious and we worship you. Pray these things.